Friends, welcome to another edition of the Common Room Lounge. We are glad that you have joined with us uh, to have another conversation about a, uh, a tricky, complicated question uh, in the middle of tricky and complicated times, and hopefully with a, with a faith that has something to say, at least to keep the conversation going. My name is Paul Rock. I'm a pastor at Second Presbyterian Church, and uh, I'm joined by a couple of good friends. Yeah, my name is Jimmy Itzak. I also work at Second. I'm the director of church life and kind of a, what I call a theological mutt, kind of going from conservative evangelicalism to charismania, now at home with my progressive brethren and sister. <laughs> Siblings. Siblings. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm Sam Murphy. Uh, I've been a member at Second for a little bit. I don't know, a couple years, year and a half. I'm a teacher. Um, and I like it. And I have a question What's that I'm going to try to make it make sense. Um, so I recently read a quote by Desmond Tutu. <clears throat> there comes a point when we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And it really had me thinking about the church and the role that we play in that scenario i think the church does a really good job of pulling people out of the water and drying them off and getting them what they need in that moment um, but i do think that the church is a huge institution in our country that has the potential to make a lot of change for good on a larger scale like going up the river and finding out why they're falling in um so my question for your brilliant minds is just, what do you think about that? What do you see the church doing or what is it, what would you dream of the church doing um, to stop people from falling in? That's a big question. I'm gonna need a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Close to figuring it out, doing our best. Huh? Uh, well, when we were, when we were talking uh, before we started recording here, Sam was talking about a an event she went to uh, down the road on the street and one of the one of the many protests and and um, this was a prayer protest and I don't know Sam to tell us what you what you said and what your kind of reflection was at, at that time. So my husband and I live between Holmes and Troost in Waldo, and we love our neighborhood a lot. We get a lot of comments from people about where we're going to send our kids to school and we don't have kids just so everybody knows but they're really concerned about our non-existent children and where they're going to school um because you know that's a whole thing um but we love our neighborhood so we walked down to an event called pray on truce um that was organized by some spiritual leaders in kansas city and um we don't really feel like praying needs to be standing in silence for an hour some people do and that works for them but i'm a verbal processor um and i'm i'm hungry for action so we were just talking about like okay so if like what what are we asking god to do like why are we here right now um and it's because truce is one of the longest red lines in the united states that's separating um two neighborhoods and so we kind of talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that we talked about that was specific and tangible was, okay, kids are going home every weekend with backpacks full of food, donated probably by church organizations or organizations that are funded by the church so that they have food to eat over the weekend because they're living in poverty. 
and like when we think about our future children where we're going to send them to school like there is a line right like we want to send them to a good school because there are kids but schools are not funded equally so when we look at a neighborhood that has a lot of apartments or rental properties those schools receive less money um, per child because schools in the United States are funded by property taxes, which just drives me crazy. It's, it seems so wrong to me that based on where you live, like your kid could get more money at school, which means glue sticks or iPads or field trips. That's just so wrong to me. And so we can keep giving backpacks full of food until we're blue in the face but the problem is that like these kids are living in poverty and their schools aren't being adequately funded because for some reason schools are funded based on property taxes so what would it look like if the church was pushing for policy change in that arena so that would be the equivalent of rather than just kind of grabbing people out of the out of the river going upstream and trying to figure out why they're falling in in the first place or what's what's going on there and and i think that's a it's a great it's a great question it's a great conundrum and, and the the church has done a lot partially out of our i think our human need we want to be able to fix things um and that that might be even a more kind of a western white thing like we got a problem we want to fix it so give me something i can do and so the church has done a pretty good job of trying to figure out things we can do to help people we see need we see struggle and we know uh you know our god is a god of love and and justice and so we want to do something about that but the difficult the more difficult work and the long-term work is yeah looking upstream and why is this happening because it is because of whether they were intentionally implemented which a number of them were or it was just an attrition where wealthy people became wealthier and then wanted to guard their wealth and powerful people became powerful more powerful and wanted to guard their power that the systems systems get skewed and they get unjust and and the work of undoing unjust systems that perpetuate um inequity is is long hard work and that's not and, and it's not something that as an individual you feel like you can do and as a church, it's not an easy fix. Um, and so I think the, you know, the answer is, or what we want to do in those situations, we want to save the people who are drowning. We also got, we got to get upstream. We got to do that work. And, and in, in my opinion, that is, that is something that, that is key and foundational to our faith as, as Christians, both historically and up until, you know, up until today, it, it is something that the church has been involved in, in terms of revolution and transformation. Uh, we are we are not the the mainline church more liberal church has is not nearly as powerful or involved in systemic change in our society as it as it had been at one point um and and there's uh there's some work we need to do there for sure yeah paul as i was thinking about this question it kind of took me back to my seminary days and talking about church history which are classes that you have to take and Church history is everything that basically happens after the New Testament. So you have Old Testament classes, New Testament, and then church history is everything kind of since. And just thinking about like Old Testament theology and the Israelites, they were constantly oppressed. And they, they kind of, the whole story of the, of the people of God was they were in some subjugated role, whether it be Egypt, whether it be Babylon, kind of you name it. 
Um, and the times when they always got into trouble were the times that they got a little bit of power and it just went poorly. Um, pretty much after Solomon, there's, I mean, almost no kings to speak of that had did anything noble or admirable. And even when you think about the story of Jesus, it's like Judas really wanted Jesus to be that figure on the white horse that was coming into Jerusalem that was going to overthrow the empire. And he kind of put all his eggs in that basket. And then Jesus was like, that's not why I'm here. And maybe not that, let me rephrase that, maybe not why I'm here, but that's not how I'm going to do it. Right. And so he basically cut his losses, um, regretted it. But you have that, if you kind of fast forward to a few major turning points in church history, you have Constantine, who all of a sudden started following the Christian religion. And while Constantine didn't necessarily make it the religion of the day, he clearly had a nepotism for it and a favoritism for it. And so Christianity and Christian leaders got all this attention. And so people converted to advance their careers and advance their influences in in the world then you have the crusades and you have the turn or burn like they go conquer these people and say convert to christianity or we kill you so well a lot of people started shockingly embracing christianity and then you have the protestant reformation a thousand years later and you have this whole king henry the eighth is not just the leader of the government but the leader of the church and then you know, the new world and you start to colonize America and everything about America is centered around a freedom of religion, which is really a freedom to practice Christianity. And, um, you know, even Ronald Reagan talked about, you know, America was this bright city on a hill and, and this idea of this, this, there's a purity and there's an elitism kind of about it, but related to, you know, people who practice Christianity are the heart of, of America. So you, you kind of seen this huge shift from the people of God really being oppressed and really having to exercise faith and humility to all of a sudden being highly influential in making the rules and enforcing those rules and, and you know, uh, being in leadership and influential roles. So, so in a sense, I don't see, I, I think Jesus was really subversive. Um, and actually, Paul, I'd love your thoughts on that. Um, but really, you don't get a ton of story biblically of, you know, the people of God being on top. And so we are talking about this whole, what is our role in systemic change? Yeah, and, and really, it's, it's, been, um, it's been to the state's favor to kind of adopt and co-opt religion, right, to, to as part of, part of how it props itself up and, and allows people to feel um, supported and and empowered and and docile to some extent, uh, and and it's every it it seems like there's just I mean I, I would agree I would I would you know state that from the beginning Jesus did come as as a revolutionary and and the reason he was crucified in the end is because both religious and state leaders were like this guy is is preaching a gospel and they're calling him Lord when Caesar's Lord. Um, and, and we, we got to do away with this because it's, it's a different understanding of, of how religion is practiced. It's a different understanding of who's up and who's down, who's powerful, who's not powerful. Jesus turned everything upside down. And in my opinion, you know, did it through nonviolence and in loving your enemies, which is really, really hard to do. Um, and, and established a new understanding of kingdom um, that really pushes against the, the, the state understanding of kingdom and, and authority. Uh, and and what what has happened with the church since then is is we get kind of in bed with the state and we end up kind of supporting and propping up the state and the system and then something happens and it tips and and oftentimes 
um, the church is, uh, you know, late to the game, but is involved then in saying, yeah, no, that is wrong. That's that we, we've got to change and kind of can hold up a different understanding of power and, and, and hope. And, and so you do see the church and different religions involved in major reformation and, and transformation in society. And you look at some of the, the leaders of the, of the civil rights movement in the, in the fifties and sixties, and they were, you know, leaders in the black church um, and they were getting their gospel, their understanding of change from the scriptures. And they were looking back to the, you know, the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt or, or were slaves in Assyria and Babylon getting set free and, and, and pushing off these oppressive powers. And, and every once in a while, it seems like the church kind of remembers that and is like, oh, no, we're not supposed to be in bed with power and propping up power. We're not supposed to be advocating for capitalism and, and the, you know, the, the, the continuity and the, and the, um, the growth of wealth, we're, we're supposed to be about the kingdom of God, which is where the last are first and the least are greatest, and those who are outside are brought in, and all, and 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 we start to get it. And, and I would hope to think today in our society, we're at that place where, like, you see things like the Poor People's Campaign again is being led by by Christian leaders, um, but we don't have the influence that we used to have in society. It. it Congress or in the, well, I mean, you, I guess you do in the presidency, but to me, it's a twisted understanding of the Bible saying, hey, this is why we need to do these things, because this is what, this is what is truth. This is what is, this is what it means to be just. This is what it means to be great. Uh, instead, we've got this idea that this is what it means to be great. It means to be rich. It means to be powerful. It means to be, to me, a very counter narrative to what is our understanding of the gospel. And sometimes that helps the church to be like, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Not just taking care of people, but also helping to reorder the society in a way that it's in line with the teachings of Jesus, which really are radical and subversive and, and very much, um, you know, in support of, of equity and, uh, and inclusion. Yeah. I, I think back to, um, you know, Jesus, right. During his trial, right before the, the crucifixion. And here you have him uh, with the ear of Roman leadership, and their biggest concern is, are you here to overthrow us, right? Are you going to compete with us for rulership, for power? And Jesus, having lived out this very kind of brazen, but very smart sub sense of subversion and how he would kind of break, break tradition, uh, but then have these great explanations for it. was, And I think that's one of the most powerful things about Jesus' message is how he got to the heart, the intent of why a rule was in place um, without saying that they had to you know, follow, the, follow the rule in its wording and miss the heart of it. But here you have Jesus in the midst of that saying, I'm not here to take your power. And, and there's something really revolutionary about that because it wasn't so much about Jesus not being involved in a revolution of systemic change, but it was how how was Jesus going to get involved? And, and, I, and I think you're right, Paul, that, that so much of how Jesus did things, you think about you know, the men coming to stone the woman caught in adultery, and he just like starts drawing on the ground, and who knows what he wrote, but he, he got to the heart and the principle of things, and people that were ready to follow the law and like dole out some quote-unquote justice, all of a sudden had got their, their perspective turned inward, and had to start evaluating their own intentions of what, yeah. why is this the case? And, and don't I also deserve um, grace, forgiveness, patience? Let's, let's reevaluate this system. And that passage, I love that passage because it says, then starting with the oldest, 
<laughs> they, yeah. they dropped their stones and they turned and walked away. And, and, uh, and at the end, it's Jesus still knelt down at the same level, this woman who's been oppressed, and they have a conversation. And that, again, that is, that's tipping everything over. You know, what, 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 what is justice? Um, who, who do we listen to? Who gets a voice? Who ends up sounding like the fool? You know, it's, it's the old guys with the stones. Um, it's the woman that's been kind of neglected is the one that Jesus sees eyes to eye with and, 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 and raises up her kind of her stature and her importance. Um, Sam, what else, what else, what does this get you thinking? I mean, I just think that like, these are biblical principles, like fighting for justice is a biblical principle. Um, I think that our country has seen some really beautiful displays of that recently of people who are fighting for equality and to kind of undo the way that things have been done because we, we were having that moment as a collective country of like, oh yeah, this isn't what God wanted. Like this is not how he designed, like this isn't the kingdom of God, right? So I don't know, It's it's been like a really interesting time. It's been super encouraging to see so many people taking first steps, um, getting involved. Um, it's been really heartbreaking to come face to face with injustice and stare it down and be uncomfortable. Um, but I, I'm just so hopeful that um, people can continue the momentum rallying together um, to create a more just world, a world that looks more like the kingdom of God. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing how the church, seeing the role that the church plays in this movement, because I think that there's a lot of potential um, to organize as a church to do more than just talk about it, which is important, but to do something about it, to say like, no, it's not enough that we're just getting together and making backpacks full of food. Like we've got to do something about this because this is not how God wants it to be. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a pause, there's a void here in leadership and, and the church can step into it, but not just alone. I mean, the great thing about where we've come in the last 50, hundred years is we can reach out to our Muslim brothers and sisters and our Jewish brothers and sisters and others and say, let's together step into this moral void and say that we, we've got to, we've got to do things better. We, we can do things better. And we know that God would have us do things better. And let's, let's start tipping over the tables of the system in ways that are generative uh, to make sure that the, that the poor are fed and, the, and that the poor kids get good schools and, we actually live into the, the things that we know are right and good and true at the heart uh, at the heart of the gospel. So here's uh, here's to the church. Hope it finds its voice and we can all find our place in, in ordering a new and more just kingdom. Thanks, Thanks Sam. For that. Cheers. Cheers.